We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you ready for rapid fire? I think so. I think the only way to wrap up this show is to do some rapid fire. I hear you. I hear you. Thank you very much, Decaf18. And let's do it. So we're going to start with Sam Hartman, who was actually on SportsCenter earlier today. Would you be more surprised if Sam Hartman throws 40 touchdown passes or if he throws 15 interceptions this season? So this was a tough one for me because it was meant to be tough. I, I'm, I'm glad that, <laughs> that I made it tough. So I looked at uh, just regular season, um, 12 games for both of these. Um, you know, 15 interceptions means you're throwing like one and a quarter per game. And if you're throwing 40 touchdowns, it's like three and three and a third touchdowns per game. I think I would actually be more surprised if he threw the 15 interceptions because I don't think he's going to throw um, as many this year, uh, maybe compared to the last two seasons where he's seen a little bit of a spike um, in interception. I just think that's naturally going to be because his pass attempts are going to be down, and I think they're going to be more kind of methodical. I think it, it a lot of times he was just kind of asked to make something happen, um, but at Notre Dame I think there's going to be like intent with just about every sort of pass, right? Like. And I'm not saying that's going to be the case for every game because, you know, there's going to be instances where he's going to have to create. But again, I just think that the that the passing is going to be um, more methodical this season. And I think 40 touchdowns is a lot. And that means that, again, that he's pushing three to four touchdowns per game. I think the running game is going to contribute to some of these touchdowns right. um, throughout the season as well. So I think I'm, I'm going to end up saying the interceptions. Um, I don't think he gets to 40. Um, I'd be surprised if he got to both of those, actually, but I'd be more surprised if he got to 15 interceptions. Yeah, I mean, he was knocking on the door of 40 for the last two years, 38 and 39. Again, different system he's going to be playing in, but also, again, as we you know keep reminding people, he's going to have a much better offensive line. I don't think he's going to be sacked 35 times like he was two years ago or 34 times like last year at Wake Forest between the running game and a much better offensive line. He's going to have. And I think the biggest question we have in terms of what exactly is this passing game going to look like? What, you know, there is the give and take, sort of the yin and the yang. There is a running game. How is that running game 
going to potentially take away from maybe the chance to get to 40 touchdowns, for example? Because, again, Wake didn't have much of a running game. I looked at Caleb Williams last year. He threw 42 touchdown passes at USC. USC also had 30 rushing touchdowns last season, which is actually five more than Notre Dame had. So I don't think just because you have a strong running game along with a good quarterback and potentially, you know, a, a really good passing game, I don't think that necessarily, you know, that one negates the other. You know, I think that like, you know, you, you get some vertical shots downfield and maybe you end up inside the 10 yard line you end up with a rushing touchdown or, or, you know, you're, you're running in the middle of the field and you get a play action and you hit a shot downfield. Now you're in the end zone. You know, I just, so I don't think, I don't think the running game is necessarily going to take away from Sam Hartman's ability to still put up some really big numbers from a passing standpoint. I just, I just think that it's all going to complement each other. So like you, I think that, the passing touchdown, you know, will he get to 40? I'm not positive he'll get to 40. I think he's got a really good chance to get to at least 35. That's, you know, like if I were making an over-under, I'm, you know, we did the Vegas over-under last week, which is only 26 and a half, which is insane that it's that low. Like I would put it, I would put it at least at 29 and a half and maybe even up a little higher at like 33, 34 and a half, something like that, you know, so I think he's got a really good chance to get the touchdown passes. I'd be surprised if he throws that many interceptions because I think that that's where he'll be impacted, you know, more like he doesn't have to maybe take as many chances throwing the football. He'll be able to rely on that run game and his whoop, decaf 18 is saying play action will be big. And, uh, you know, DJ saying also hoping we see a lot more RPO and that's something that they're getting, you know, getting uh, kind of getting uh come to as well is uh the old rpos bringing the rpos back so i think that's going to be good as well we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, 
Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So there are 44 days to go until Notre Dame kicks off the season against Navy in Dublin. And number 44, of course, corresponds with Junior Tui Alamaka's jersey number. Tui Alamaka moving to Viper this season. And the Viper defensive end, where he'll likely be, you would expect that he would, behind Jordan Botello there. My question to you, over, under, Six and a half combined sacks and tackles for loss for Junior Tui Alamanca this season. Um, I'm a little biased here because I think that he's going to have a pretty. You're very high season. on Junior Tui Alamanca. Yeah, and I've I've been on the record before saying that. I think that he actually shatters that. Um, I would more so set it at like 11 and a half, meaning he gets one sack or tackle for loss uh, per game, okay. essentially. Hold so on, before I'm you definitely hit me over. Before you continue, here's the reason I said it at six and a half, because Justin Adamalola, that that was his combined number last year, six and a half. And he was essentially where Tui Alamaki is right now, the number two Viper behind Isaiah Foskey. He he had three and a half tackles for loss, three sacks. So that's why I said it at six and a half. So you think the number needs to be set a lot higher at eleven and a half? Is that what you said? That's maybe too drastic. Um, I'd say like nine and a half. Nine and a okay. half is where I would set it. Double digits is the number. I, I'm fairly confident in that as well. Unless Jordan Botello just turns into a beast and he's too hard to get off the field, you know, then which which he very well could. He's got the we know like Vince and I did the rankings of the the top ten guys on the roster this season. Botello just missed for both of us, like. From a pure ability standpoint, athletic ability, the whole thing. And this is kind of what I tried to explain when we were explaining that. It's like it's not good enough just to be a good athlete and thought of as a good player. You also have to be someone who everyone is fairly confident, has put it all together, and you're ready to go right now. And that's why I had to leave Botello off. So there should at least be some opportunities for Junior Tui Alamaka. I like that nine and a half that you're talking about, I think I would still go over just like you as well, but you're even higher on him than I am. Yeah. I just feel like overall what makes him so special is he has linebacker speed um, and he's going to be able to come down and play a position where his speed helps. um, And that's what kind of separates you and creates you, you know, essentially makes you an elite, especially when it comes to pass rushing, but like you don't need elite speed, right? Like the Bosa brothers don't have elite speed. Like they run four between like four eights and five O's. And he's faster than that, and he's very strong and physical. And I know that because they've worked him in as, you know, like the three technique and some of their defensive packages as well, an interior defensive lineman. So really that just shows to me that you have the strength. Like you don't, you don't, you don't get those opportunities if you can't hold your own in, in those situations. And I just I really like his overall athleticism in a position that requires less athleticism than what he had to do in the past. So I, I think it's actually it's kind of uh, 
it's kind of like uh, he's 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 unlocked kind of more potential, I think, at a position because he he has an excess of athleticism um, and speed. I agree. I, I think that this could be a really good fit for him, especially with these other linebackers that are coming in behind him. Derek says leaving Batello off my list puts me on his list. Good point. Touche. By the way, hit the like button if you would. Kind of boost us up there a little bit right now. We would appreciate it. We always appreciate you smacking that like These are the dog days. Around. We're getting close to the season. I know. That's right. We're it, it, In fact, we got word today we can officially say when fall training camp begins. We're not supposed to give out the full schedule, but we are allowed to say when training camp begins. So day one of training camp is going to be Wednesday, July 26th. And there will be a uh, a practice availability for the media that way, that day. Wednesday, July 26th, first About day weeks. of training camp. That's right. Two weeks from yesterday will be the first day of camp. So we've known that for a while. We just got the official word that uh, we could actually say when it starts. They just don't want us giving the full schedule out of, you know, all of our availabilities and when practices are and and all that kind of stuff. So we'll be there two weeks from yesterday when training camp begins. Looking forward to it. It's on the way. All right. This is an interesting one. And I saw this. I think somebody posted it on the boards. Football Scoop had this story up. Former Michigan tight end Jake Butts tweeted a story about how Jim Harbaugh reworked their practices in his first spring as head coach there. Players, of course, are allowed a maximum of four hours per day with the team. So rather than split it up like here's some meeting time, here's some practice time and splitting it up like that, they just took all four hours and put the guys out on the field. That's where uh, they did it. Not only did they do that, Harbaugh split the team into an A team and a B team. They would have the B team practice by themselves for two hours from 1 to 3 p.m. Then the A team would show up and they would practice with the B team from three to five for their first two hours. So then by the end of that two hours, the B team was done. They'd completed their four hours. The A team stayed for two more hours by themselves. In total, the coaches were out there for six hours, but each group of, of players, the A team and the B team, got four total hours, some by themselves where they got a ton of reps, some you know, where they're mixing it in and doing other stuff. So my question to you, Jesse, is, you know, like we've talked about player development, especially with these young quarterbacks for Notre Dame, like Steve Angeli, Kenny Menchie. We were just talking about this yesterday. Potential early enrollee in C.J. Carr next spring. You know, not to mention, you know, you're going to have a couple key losses, three key losses on the offensive line, both tackles. And the center, most likely, you know, linebackers, running back. So there's going to be some youth out there. Would would reformatting practice like this? What kind of benefit do you think it could have, especially from those quarterbacks? You know, where like getting reps, get the most reps possible. What do you think? You've played before. What do you What do you think about this format? Yeah. So, like, the main thing I would consider here is that it's in the spring. 
um, and 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 the spring is a considerably more of a learning period, you know, right. than than fall camp. When you get to fall camp, it's it's time to buckle down and you know figure out what's going to happen for the season. But in the spring, when there's a lot a lot of learning going on, a lot a lot of younger guys like you kind of touched on potentially, you know, Notre Dame situation next year. I do find this actually to be really interesting and something that could be beneficial. And I've I've never heard of it being this way before. And you know, a lot of it too is like you said, you only get four hours and that includes meetings, film time, et cetera. So it sounds like they're just cutting out all meetings and film time. And their only concern is about, you know, what you're doing on the field. And in the spring, again, that's beneficial because, you know, for these younger guys, I would much rather have two extra hours on the field than sitting in a meeting room and, and kind of boring. You're not, game planning. you're not game planning in the spring. The, the film's not quite as important. I wouldn't think. Yeah. It's basically all the, all the film is, is the only time the film is beneficial is basically when you're doing the combined stuff, when you have, you know, offense versus defense, but a lot of it's just individual periods and, you know, working through position group drills and et cetera. So I do think it'd be very beneficial because you're getting these guys are would be younger and getting more, you know, hands on time with the coaches. And me as a learner, it's always been I'd rather do it and kind of learn by mistake uh, than learn and watch on film and then, you know, kind of get get roasted in the film room and then have to go back out there the next day. It's just I think it, it leads to more confidence um, ultimately because these guys will have the opportunity uh, to, to really learn through their mistakes out on the field. And it's kind of crazy that the coaches are out there for six hours and something like this. And I, I think know. it was beneficial. I, 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 another reason I think it was beneficial is because it was Harbaugh's first year. So it sounded like he really kind of wanted to repave, you know, right. the foundation and the fundamentals. So that's another kind of thing that that played into it. I'd be curious to see if it still goes on now. I would probably say no. I don't think it what does. We just talked to like he's probably I got think, the foundation set on a yeah, lot of this and, stuff. And that's what you know. I kind of abbreviated what I read there from you know for that that Jake Butts put up there on that. You know, it was it was a long thread kind of thing. But th- that was the point. Is that's how he essentially sort of rebuilt the culture and, you know, like all that kind of stuff when he, when he came in the door by doing this. And he basically said, look, you get better by doing, by actually right. playing out there on the field, just what you were talking about, not by sitting and watching film. And again, when you're doing it in the spring, there's still going to be some benefit. And, I, and you know, and I'm not saying, you know, because just like what, what you're saying, this was the first season Harbaugh did this. I'm just saying, for this specific instance, especially with the young quarterback situation and trying to find out what you've got in your quarterbacks, I think it could be very beneficial because if if those three go through this season or, you know, two go through this season and Jelly and Minchie and then Carr joins them in the spring, potentially, you still have three completely unproven lacking experience quarterbacks, even less experience than what you had starting off last fall with Buckner and Pine. So I, I, I'm not I'm not suggesting that they should make every practice like this where the coaches are out there on the field for six hours and the players are out there on the field for you know for for the four hours that they're talking about. But like at least once a week, I think that there would be a lot of benefit in it. You know, like you you do that and then maybe you you know with with some film watching you know some of the things that you did constructive criticism 
from those practices and that kind of stuff. But, you know, again, especially from the quarterback situation, most important position on the field, the more reps you can get, the better. So I think there'd be a lot of benefit for Notre Dame in that with, with those quarterbacks that they're going to have next spring. Yeah. And I, you touched on it, just kind of hit the hammer on the head there. It's um, the quarterback development is the area that would need slash see right. the most benefit from this. And, we Accelerate talked yesterday. Development. Yeah, exactly. We talked yesterday about you know what that would look like, and we've talked about in the past like what would make us feel comfortable. And it's just they got to start the system somehow. And I think that that would be a great kickstarter of trying to figure out and, and go through a lot of quarterback development because then in the spring you can really assess you know where you are at comfortably, right? Like before the, the start of the season. And I think there would be an opportunity for another transfer portal window in there too after. You know, if 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 things are looking just completely horrible, which I don't think that they would, but right. it gives you a, again a better a better chance to give you know a, a breakdown or analysis of all these quarterbacks and what they can do. Yeah, I mean, you could put them in a lot of different situations. Like some of the best coaches that I had in high school. This has been a while, but like the best coaches I had, like we practiced you know live situations, you know, at, at different points in practice, whether it was the beginning or the end. And, you know, like I, you always hear like, you, you don't, you don't rise, you know, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your level of training, basically, you know, like you, you hear that kind of stuff. And I, I think that that's completely true. They could, they could put these quarterbacks in different, at least pseudo live situations as well, you know, in, in just a lot of instructional periods, out there by doing something like this. And again, like if you've got, you know, two guys in the A group and then, you know, one of the guys in the B group and then a walk on or whoever else it happens to be, then you could, you could rotate those quarterbacks around so that, you know, and you wouldn't have them, you know, you wouldn't like have them throwing their arm off and that kind of stuff, but still you could get them a heck of a lot of reps in a situation like that. So I think it's really, Really intriguing to see the way that that they did that. And I mean, like when you look at how Harbaugh at Stanford, San Francisco, and then Michigan was able to turn things around at all three of those stops. And then you look at something like this as an example of something that he's did. I mean, you don't that he's done. You don't have to like him, <laughs> but it's he's got good you know, ideas. He's a good coach. He's still he's he's shown he's a good coach. You know, he's he's obviously, you know. A little quirky. A little outside the lines, a little quirky. But, uh, yeah, still a good coach, knows what he's doing. All right, so the MLB Players Association wants the pitch clock rules loosened so that they have more time between pitches and maybe the ability, you know, like to step off the rubber a little bit more during the postseason. Do you buy or sell this idea? Yeah, I buy this, actually. And this was going to, like, when, when these rules were announced at the beginning of the season, I think that's great. You know, for the regular season, it's a it's a grind of 162 games. Um, if you're going to have that many games, you can't you can't have average time of three, three and a half, four hours, um, whatever it might be. So, yeah, I, I'll, all aboard on that. But when you get to the playoffs, it's obviously a much smaller pool of teams um, and the stakes are much higher. I think you've earned the right or kind of the reward to have loose and pitch clock rules because every pitch ultimately matters. Right. Like you're not just trying to get through the game or or rush through the game. I, I think that my rules would be you get one more, you know, disengagement per in, in the playoffs per at bat. Um, and then you get five seconds added 
per at bat. So if no one's on, you get 20 seconds. And if you got runners on, then you get 25 seconds. I think that it's fair to say that, you know, the playoffs would, would uh, reward five more seconds uh, per pitch and you know, one more disengagement per batter, because again, it, the, the stakes are higher and, and, and in the playoffs, you know, guys stealing bases and in those runs, every run's going to matter essentially. So I, I just, I buy this um, and I hope that they do it because of, I, I, I like to see since the stakes are higher, you know, more conscious effort going into each pit. But shouldn't you be used to it by the time the playoffs roll around? You know, like the yeah, college baseball has it, had this but... for a couple of years and, you know, like the college world series, I don't remember seeing any pitch clock issues during the college world series guys are just used to it by now. Yeah, I see that. But again, I just think that the stakes are just a little bit ramped up. And so I don't mind playoff baseball is a lot easier to watch than a regular season game on a two. So I don't mind if the game goes 15 to 30 seconds or sorry, 30 minutes longer. If see, I do, pitches like, are getting a little bit extra time. Those are actually the games that matter more. And they're, those are, those are the games that more people are going to be watching, you know, like baseball during the regular season is watched regionally. It's not watched on a national level. Like, like John is saying, the pitch clock should be uh, eliminated. Chi town doesn't like the pitch clock either. I, I've said before, from a TV standpoint, I like the pace of the game. If I'm at the game, there's a little, it's a little bit different. I don't mind the length of the game as much. But these games, especially when you get into the, you know, the the LCSs and the World Series, and these games are starting after eight o'clock, those are the ones that you want to make sure go quicker because you want people to actually watch from start to finish. So you know. I, Here's, here's the problem with the Players Association. The Players Association basically let Major League Baseball, you know, when they were negotiating this deal a year or two ago, they let Major League Baseball say, okay, you can change the rules you want, basically so they could get more money. You know, that's they, they gave up the right to negotiate these rules so they could get more money. And now, on the backside, they've got their money, and now they want to come back in and say, well, we don't really like these rules that much. You need to change them for the postseason. So I'm I'm completely fine with them the way they are. I, I, I'm not pushing back against them the way, you know, some other people are. So I, I, stay, I say stick with them. Once you get through 182 games, you should have a, a, a better feel by then of what you need to do. So I don't think you need to go changing things once you get to the postseason. Yeah, I like the rules. Don't get me wrong. And if if they didn't change them, I wouldn't be upset about it. But I understand kind of, I guess, the logic for why you would want it just because of, again, the the the, the stakes are, yeah. are, are heightened. Like the step off thing, you know, again, like I wouldn't mind maybe one more step off. I wouldn't go changing the clock, you know, because I, I get what you're saying. You know, those runs do matter, obviously, especially once you get to the postseason. Decaf says sell. They don't need to adjust their cups and readjust their batting gloves. I do that. Shytown says, why do we want games shorter? When I go to Wrigley or Kaminsky, I know the Shy Sox play at a newer stadium. I want the game to run over. But and that's what I completely agree. That's that's what I was just saying. When I'm at a game, I don't care how long the game lasts. It's mostly when you're watching it on TV. Nobody wants a three and a half hour game when you're watching it on TV, especially. If it starts at 8.30 at night in the postseason, that's that's the biggest reason they've made these changes because viewership has gone down so far. 
They want renewed, you know, they want much more interest from younger demographics. There was too little action actually going on in the field. You know, their 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 audience was already in the 50 plus age demographic and getting older by the year, basically by the minute it was getting older. They needed to find a way to try to draw in a younger crowd. And that's why they did this, to try to shorten things and to bring more action into the game again so that there were actually things going on in the game. And so far, it's been better this year. I can't remember. I saw a stat. I can't remember what it was exactly. I was actually trying to find it um, right now. But I'm pretty sure I saw that the new rule changes have been so like such a hit so far that they've lowered like an age metric by like five years or something already, basically. Really? Yeah, the average. I hadn't seen that. I can't remember. I wish I could pull it up, but they've already like they they, they've already shown that like these new rules have really like had a great effect so far, and it's lowered, you know, something between like the viewership between a certain age demographic has and that average has gone down by at least five years. I want to say. Wow. That's pretty impressive in in that short amount of time that they've already been able to do that. But, you know, again, like I said, that was the goal. When I go to a game, I don't care how long it lasts. I've spent, you know, you, in fact, you've, you know, there are people who, you know, we're talking about suing because it's like you're paying the same amount of money, but you're getting like an hour less at the ballpark, you know, to actually do your thing. And they were talking about suing and trying to lower the ticket prices and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you go to a lot of games, so you can, you know, probably speak to it. Even I haven't been to a big league game so far this year. Can can you tell a big difference when you're at a game? Yeah, I mean, you you really can, and I think it. What what was shown is that I wasn't at the game, but a few weeks, like a week ago, the Guardians played their quickest game ever, and it was like an hour and fifty three minutes. And it's even more prominent at Guardians games because they're low scoring, not a lot of hitting, and um just a lot of small ball and so you can definitely tell the pace of game is like quicker they get through the games much faster but i'm like you at the game i don't care because it everything seems to go by quick when you're at the game but when i'm at yeah. home and that's where i'm watching majority of the games right like majority of the games you are you, you i mean you maybe go uh unless you're a season ticket holder the casual fan probably goes to like two to three games at maximum per year so the rest of the games you know, I, I like and I I watch a lot of Cubs games on TV. Like I enjoy getting through those relatively quickly because of that reason. I it, I can get it done with. And my girlfriend doesn't like watching a three hour <laughs> game compared to a two to two and a half hour game. Right. Like everybody wins in that situation. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, Chi-Town says the old guys have all the money. That may be true, but here's the problem, Chi-Town. If your only demographic right now is an older demographic, in 20 years, you have nobody watching on TV and nobody at the ballpark. That's why you have to shoot for a younger demographic. That's, you know, just like, 
I think we've talked about this before. You know, like Jesse, you grew up going to Notre Dame women's basketball games, and you know, twenty or twenty plus years ago, that national championship season, to the, the two thousand one season, right around that time, the marketing department there at Notre Dame, they were marketing both an older demographic as well as young families, and that combination has helped them keep really healthy crowds inside Purcell Pavilion to watch their games over these years. And what happens now, 20 plus years later, those young families are, you know, middle-aged to older families, but the kids who grew up going to those games, like you, remain fans and they are paying customers now as well. You know, it's like, that's, that's why you've got to shoot for the younger demographic, you know, like, Baseball, like, you know, people, people on here, most of, you know, we always kind of get poked for it. When we talk about baseball, most people are like, oh, baseball is being played. It's at, when does baseball season start? They start, you know, and that's, that's the point, you know, because there was so much interest being lost in baseball, but it's, it's kind of cool to see that some of the stuff has helped bring some of that back. So just the NFL has told the New York Jets, they're going to be HBO's hard knocks team this season. Meanwhile, Netflix just dropped a series called Quarterback, which followed Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and Marcus Mariona throughout last season. So which of those two are you most interested in? So I would say I'm more interested in the Netflix series uh, Quarterback just because it's the new thing, right? Like we haven't seen that before. We don't know what it is. Um, and then obviously it, it's got Patrick Mahomes on it. Like Marcus Mariota doesn't do a whole bunch for me. Um, Kirk Cousins <laughs> doesn't do a ton for me either. It's, Your boy, it's funny Kirk because <laughs> based on that list, it's kind of like tiered. You get the top tier Patrick Mahomes, you get the middle tier Kirk Cousins, and then you get kind of the lower tier Marcus Mariota. But I, I, I'm still interested in the hard knocks of the Jets season, and I'm, I'm very interested to see, you know, what Aaron, what, how much Aaron Rodgers content we get and what he's like um on camera and then honestly too I'm, I'm excited to see you know some more of like robert up up close and personal and his kind of coaching philosophy because i respect his defensive mind and you know the solid defenses that he always puts together so that's interesting but again what puts it over the top for me for quarterback is it's just the new thing we haven't seen it before no one really knows what it is i've seen hard knocks seasons i know what hard knocks is about but again it's just it's just like the new thing and so that's what's ultimately got me um, more excited. I agree with what Tanner said. Brittany Mahomes annoys me as well. Um, I just can't believe how much the Jets tried to fight being on Hard Knocks. Oh, you know, I didn't know that. They didn't want to be on Hard Knocks. Oh, yeah, you didn't know. Yeah, they they resisted. They basically it came down to four teams because the way I knew the four teams, but I didn't right. know the Jets didn't want to be the on. criteria for teams to be eligible for Hard Knocks. It eliminates teams with first year head coaches teams that qualified for the playoffs in the past two seasons, and teams that appeared on the show in the last 10 seasons. So it came down to four teams that were possible. The Jets, the Commanders, the Saints, and uh, what was the fourth one? Jets, Commanders, so, oh, and the Bears. The Bears were the fourth one. So those were the four possibilities. Nobody wanted to step up and volunteer to do it. You know, Aaron Rodgers signing with the Jets made it seem more and more like it was going to happen. Robert Sala kept saying no. You know, all this stuff about, oh, it'll be too much of a distraction. It's like, 
are you kidding? You know, like every all of these guys, they either have their own podcast or they're doing media or their social media. You it's know, just media. extra cameras around. They it's not yeah. like they're in anyone's way. They do all the the shooting, editing, cutting of you know, put put them together themselves. Like the only thing that would be a little bit extra is if they do you know some of those kind of like close up or one on one little interview excerpts kind of stuff. That would be the only right. thing that's really extra because that's, I'm, I know they have to stay out of the way with all of their cameras and everything. Yeah, it's mostly – they're mostly flies on the wall, I think, with the exception of like what you're talking about. You know, like they – you know, they mic up a coach and then they put their cameras in the back of the room. And it's like, you know, they're not up there and in their face, I don't think, all the time. And, you know, so – and again, as much of this kind of media as there is I mean, it's today, New York too. It's like – Yeah, you're, exactly. Your media is central. Exactly. Um, I cheated a little bit because I actually watched the first episode of quarterback last night. Um, and it is pretty good. And I think that obviously what differentiates these two is it's the same kind of thing where they're telling a story and they're behind the scenes and they're micing guys up. The difference is this is like what eight months since the season ended, they put all this together and now they're releasing this series less, you know, about a week or so before training camp start. Whereas obviously hard knocks comes out a week at a time while they're going through training camp. So it's, you know, it's a little bit different the way they're telling the story. And, you know, you, you actually hit the nail on the head with how you described it. You've got an elite quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. You've got kind of a middle tier quarterback in Kirk cousins. And then you had a guy in Marcus Mariota who, you know, was, did he I guess he signed with the Atlanta Falcons and you know kind of trying to keep his career going and that kind of thing after the fact we know how that ended up because Desmond Ritter obviously ended up being you know the quarterback there but in in the first episode you know they're just kind of starting to tell that story so it it was interesting it was you know it was good there was nothing earth-shattering in it but it was it was fun. It was kind of a souped up version of hard knocks with, you know, but like, instead of you're telling the story, you know, about, you know, what quirks the head coach has, or, you know, some guy at the end of the roster, you know, who was drafted in the seventh round or an undrafted free agent trying to make the team, you're just following these quarterbacks throughout the season. And, and, you know, they're kind of in with their families a little bit and, and stuff like that. So it was pretty good. I, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty interesting and, Definitely worth watching episode two anyway, and probably keep watching it after that. Hard Knocks, like you said, we've kind of been there, done that. It's almost run its course, I think, at this point. Speaking of which, though, Jerry Jones just sold the rights to a docu-series to Netflix for just under 50 million bucks. It's going to be The Cowboys Rise to Prominence in the early 90s. It's already drawn comparisons to The Last Dance. So, Jess, Mr. Fellow Cowboys fan, scale of 1 to 10, how much are you looking forward to seeing this? Yeah, I mean, as being uh, a passionate Cowboys fan, and, and probably I would say that the Cowboys are the, the team that I get the most into in terms of professional sports, I, I'd have to say my overall excitement is a 9 out of 10. And especially when talking about the early 90s, it was, you know, an era that I've only heard about and, and partially seen about, um, but I, I haven't. I haven't actually got to, you know, immerse, submerse myself in that kind of content before. I've only, it's just kind of tales, right? Um, I think the only reason it's not a 10 out of 10 is 
if Jerry Jones is releasing this and saying it's okay, it's got to portray him in a way uh, mm. that he is the the savior or it was all really his right. idea that led the charge. So, again, Jerry Jones doesn't do anything for no reason, right? He's going to make <laughs> money off of this, and it's going to paint him to be probably, you know, the guy, the mastermind behind it all. Thanks, so Jerry. that, that, that yeah. would be the only thing that would knock my level of excitement down uh, at the end of the day. I'm very interested in it. I'm reading the book and I'm I'm kind of a I'm I'm a slow reader to begin with, but I also like will start reading and then I'll put a book away, you know, and I'll kind of go, "Oh yeah, I need to go back and and read that." But I'm reading the book Jeff Perlman, who was the guy who wrote the book that um, you know, the LA Lakers HBO series is based on. He wrote a book about the Cowboys of that era as well. So I'm kind of reading about that era right now but i completely agree that's my biggest concern like is jerry just going to take credit for everything is he going to give jimmy johnson any credit you know like is he going to try to rewrite it like he pulled off the herschel walker trade and you know and and not jimmy johnson that's what i'm really curious what it's going to look like just you know just how much he's going to play with the truth because you know he's got the money and he owns the team so i'll be uh i'll be really curious to see that but i am Anxious to see it. And just like we were talking about yesterday, I would love to see something like this on that, you know, like that Lou Holtz era, Notre Dame, and even before that, leading up to it from the Faust era into the Lou Holtz era, you know, a series like this. I think it would be perfect. And then, you know, you said something on Rocket. You could do like a whole episode if you did a, you know, like an eight to 10, you know, episode series on Notre Dame from that era. You could do a whole episode on rocket Ismail, I think if you wanted. So, but, but to answer the question about the Cowboys thing, very excited, but I have the same concerns you do. I just, I think it's going to be Jerry Jones is going to be best man in history kind of thing. <laughs> it's just what it's got to be, right? Like the, the man, it's just the ultimate ego thing. And there's no way he would sign off on something that gets released that would make him look like the bad guy in any situation. So yep. be curious to see how that all plays out. Derek says to you, Jesse, sometime this winter, I'll pick you up, take you to a monsters game. He says, I let you down and he's going to fix it by teaching you the best game. Is that uh, like Cleveland? Like, is it AHL or something like yeah, that? Yeah, that's the, the minor league hockey team. So it sounds as if, you know, I know a little bit of hockey. I just don't, I don't know enough of it, unfortunately. Yep. Shytown says he'd like a 65-66 season Bears documentary. Butkus, Sayers, Piccolo, Ditka, and Hallis mic'd up would be difficult to pull off. Now, I wonder what kind of you – know, they've got – they had some stuff mic'd up back in the day with NFL films and all that. But you could throw that Rosemary's Baby, <laughs> you know, that that vintage thing that, that uh, Butkus had in there, that, that old quote from him. But uh, I think that, that would be fun as well. I'm uh, going to the Italian festival uh, this Friday, so maybe I'll oh. I'll see Derek there. That's that's a big it's a big thing in Cleveland. There's two of them. There's one on the east side over in Little Italy, um, and there's one in the S, west side in the Gordon Square. That's like walking distance. That I'm I'm going to go to tonight and tomorrow. They have tons of like um, good Italian street food, um, and then there's like ton like Italian street gambling games, and it's. It's just a ton of fun, and it raises a lot of money for the local um, church and everything. So All it's right. exciting times. Mambo Italiano. 
That's right, baby. All right. <laughs> Have fun at the Italian Fest. And you got a wedding you got to go to this weekend too, right? Yeah. So Saturday, going to a wedding up in Michigan for a good buddy of mine that I played football with in college. And actually, it's funny because it's like, you know, I'm friends with him. But I actually, uh, his his girlfriend now, uh, wife to be in a couple of days. We were both math majors together, so we took like oh, every cool. math class together. So I'm pretty close um, with, both, with of both of them at the end of the day. And he actually Very transferred cool. um, out at, like our sophomore year, um, but we still you know remain friends. And like I said, I saw him a lot because <laughs> him and his girlfriend and I were often doing math homework together. <laughs> he is uh, he is your token Michigan fan as well right yeah yeah we have uh he's a big lions fan and yeah university of michigan fan every time michigan and Dame play each other we go to the game and then whoever whoever loses the game so say michigan loses he's buys me tickets for the next game and then when notre dame wins um or sorry when notre dame lost technically i'm on the hook for whenever they play again next so right. just a good old friendly rivalry at the end of the day <laughs> good times good times all right. Well, thanks for joining us tonight. We appreciate you. Hit the like button if you would on your way out. We do appreciate that as well. Thanks to Danielle Green. If you missed the Danielle Green interview, of course, you can go back and find it either here on YouTube or on the podcast platform. We'll wrap it up and we will talk to you Friday live at five with the Rapid Fire Show right here on Ivy Sports Talk. This will be back.